0: The other side of midnight. Local spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is the other side of midnight on seventy-seven WABC. I am Frank Morano. Obviously, if you've listened to the station for more than sixty seconds at any point during the last, I don't know, uh, twenty hours. You're aware by now that the bedrock of our radio station, our morning man, Bernard McGurk, has uh, passed away. And uh, I knew Bernie very well uh, for the last 15 years. Well, I guess as well as Bernie would let anybody get to know him that was a colleague. I'm going to share a lot of my remembrances of Bernie throughout the next few hours. It's not going to be all about uh, Bernie McGurk, though. And uh, we're going to squeeze in a lot of great Bernie commentary, a lot of great Bernie calls, a lot of great Bernie audio that you might not have heard before. But we're also going to do Ask Frank Anything for the next hour, which is a very popular portion of our show. We're also going to do denunciations in the 3 o'clock hour. And I've gone back and forth with whether we should totally break format and do four four wall-to-wall hours of Bernie. And I was tempted to do that, even though I basically did that with Curtis on the Bernie and Sid show yesterday. And I think I'm in for the next, uh, for the first hour of the Bernie and Sid show today as well. But I feel like some people may need a break from crying all day. I know my wife messaged me as we were doing the show on the Bernie and Sid show yesterday. And she said, you know, I really didn't even know Bernie, but listening to you guys talk about him, I'm crying. And a few people even said they had to turn off the, uh, the radio because they were so upset. So we're going to try and thread that needle. We're going to try and balance that delicately, the need to pay tribute to Bernie. Uh, my desire, quite frankly, to share with you a lot of stories about our relationship over the years and what I think he meant to the world of broadcasting, but also uh, the fact that maybe people don't want to necessarily grieve for four straight hours. Uh, but uh, we will indeed be paying tribute to Bernard McGurk. If you have questions about anything for the next hour, whether they be related to Bernard McGurk or related to radio in general, you're certainly welcome to give me a call. We are going to do Ask Frank Anything in about a minute. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And as always, we will have a prize for whomever comes up with the best question this hour, whether it's related to Bernie McGurk or anything else. A little bit later, I'm going to play you some of my on-air conversations with Bernie, and I also am very eager to hear your recollections at 848 WABC. So, um, in the words of the great Barry Farber, who Bernie was uh, an admirer of as well, "To be continued." Beam me up. The other side of midnight. 77 local, local spotlight. Good morning. Hello, everyone. This is the other side of midnight on 77 WABC. We're going to continue with our tribute to Bernard McGurk this hour, and I'll play you some clips that I'm betting you haven't heard in quite some time, maybe not ever. Some will give you a laugh, and some will make you think. Meantime, though, if you live in the eastern United States and have been besieged with infestations of spotted lanternflies, they say that your misery might be almost over with the weather getting. Cooler, adult lantern flies are going to gradually die off and disappear entirely before winter. But they're saying the so-called experts, including Danae Wolf, who's a conservation educator, a writer, and a nation photographer, Danae Wolf said that this relief is likely to be temporary as a new brood of this highly invasive insect is set to emerge in the spring. They're saying just stomping out these spotted lanternflies is not enough. So if you've been lucky enough to so far not have seen swarms of lanternflies in your neighborhood, it may only be a matter of time before that changes. Female lanternflies are already laying their eggs, which will overwinter on trees and on hard surfaces. Given that each egg mass contains 30 to 50 eggs, we could be looking at large armies of insects again beginning in May. So what do we do? While killing lantern flies and squishing them one by one might be emotionally satisfying, while it might help you deal with some stress, it's not going to be enough to get rid of these pests. More effective containment methods are being explored in the meantime before their re emergence in the spring. One eradication method involves limiting the spotted lantern access to its favorite vegetation. The insect has been observed feeding on over 100 species worldwide, but its meal of choice is the Tree of Heaven, an aggressive, invasive tree that hails from lanternflies native regions in Asia and is helping the insects spread by providing them a ubiquitous food source. The Tree of Heaven was brought to the United States in the 1700s as a fast-growing exotic shade tree. So researchers now are studying the effectiveness of controlling Tree of Heaven population through fungal pathogens, which may help the insects westward spread and help us get a handle on these. So basically, they're going to look at either killing or at least hindering the reproduction of the Tree of Heaven in order to stop the spotted lanternfly. I think this plan has an excellent chance of not working, and if you're looking for a million-dollar idea, maybe you should get to work on thinking how to eradicate the spotted lanternfly. Beam me up! To be continued... Other Side at Midnight. Local Spotlight this is a story which at first glance may seem like you should only care about if you live in Brooklyn but the truth is you should care about this if you live anywhere in the state of New York Brooklyn assembly member Rodney Vishot hemmerlin has been re-elected as the county chairman of the Brooklyn Democratic Party after a day of heated public deliberations at the Marriott in downtown Brooklyn. She was barely reelected. Delegates fought for hours on Monday. And one of the things they fought over was appointments to the county committee. And the county committee is the body that runs every party in the state the Brooklyn Democratic Party the Richmond County Republican Party New York uh, Conservative Party whatever you name the borough uh, you name the county anywhere in the state the Democrats and the Republicans and even the minor parties in some cases have a county committee and it's supposed to give a hyper local voice to roughly 4,000 Democrats across the borough of Brooklyn that decides on party rules, that nominates candidates, and elects the chairman. But the proceedings, which picked up from a meeting last month that started hours late and ended with almost nothing getting accomplished, came to a halt numerous times as delegates raised concerns that party leaders had put forward county committee members without their knowledge. So essentially, they call these ghost appointments – to the county committee, and it looks like the chairwoman of the Brooklyn Democratic Party was re-elected by getting the proxies of people that didn't even know they were on the county committee. And unfortunately, this is nothing new. We've seen this over the years with the Queens County Republican Party. We've seen this over the years uh, in every borough in New York City with the Independence Party when it existed. It's very unclear in the state election law whether or not someone needs to know that they're running for county committee. These people, most of whom never appear on the ballot, don't even know that they're on the county committee. This is a real problem. When the leadership of a major party, and don't get me wrong, I think I probably prefer the current chairperson of the Brooklyn Democratic Party rather than the um, crazy ultra-progressive group that was trying to oust her, who knows what they would be doing. However, it's a recipe for disaster if the people that are choosing party leaders don't even know that they're on the committee and that their votes... Are being used to make the difference. I would hope that after this recent debacle, the state legislature would act and clarify that if you're going to serve on a party's county committee, you have to give some sort of affirmative consent that you're at least aware that you're on the county committee. We'll see what happens. Beam me up! To be continued. The other side of midnight. Seven, seven, Local Spotlight. One more hour to go here on 77 WABC. If you want to comment on uh, your remembrances, your thoughts of Bernard McGurk, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. One thing that happened yesterday that if you were following mostly the Bernard McGurk situation you might have missed is that the New York City Redistricting Commission, which is responsible for drawing the council lines, approved the latest map for the district lines come next year. This is not an independent commission. It is a commission controlled by politicians, the minority leader of the city council, the speaker of the city council, and the mayor of the city council. And I'm actually going to do an interview with two of these commissioners, including the one person that voted no uh, next week. The vote was 13 to 1 and we have found the one commissioner that voted no, shockingly, he's a friend of mine, and we're going to do a podcast interview with him. It's exclusive to the podcast next week. So if you're interested in hearing that, the best thing you could do is subscribe to this podcast Frank Morano interviews and more but really with this process being thrown into disarray last month after the commission responsible for drawing these new city council districts voting down its own draft map this really underscores the problems With this redistricting commission, which I offered to serve on, by the way, no one asked me, though, with this redistricting commission not coming up with an ethics policy that dealt with potential conflicts of interest, this commission had the opportunity to adopt some sort of a code of ethics which would prohibit conflicts of interest. They didn't do that. At the commission's first meeting in March, Dennis Walcott said the body would come up with an ethics policy. This is what he said at the time. I would also, like to also raise the important topic of the code of ethics and what I would like to suggest to the body is that once we have our staff in place that we circulate a proposed code of ethics for us to follow. And that way we can have to review it and then adopt it or make any modifications we feel are appropriate. We want to be very clear as far as protecting ourselves and the process as we move forward. The policy never Materialized. And this is a commission that is filled with conflicts of interest. Now, redistricting commissions in California and Michigan have conflicts of interest policies, which in some cases bar certain people from participating as commissioners. We don't have that here. This commission was loaded with people that had a conflict of interest. And why are we relying upon the commission itself to adopt its own ethics policy? There should be something in the city charter. That specifically calls for a code of ethics. And if I were on this redistricting commission this year, I would have been pushing for it. Is it any wonder I wasn't appointed? Beam me up. To be continued.